1: Hello everyone, I know that you're dying to get to the picture of Dorian Gray, but first, before we start all of that, uh, I just want to let you know about our sponsor for this mini-season. Hemlock Creek Productions is a post-production audio studio based in Chicago, Illinois. Founded by audio editor and sound designer Marissa Ewing, Hemlock Creek Productions is Marissa's response to a growing need for remote audio editing services. While based in the United States, Hemlock Creek Productions has worked with clients and vocal talents across multiple countries and languages. They've provided their expert editing services on a variety of projects, including podcasts, films and video games. In addition to providing editing services, Hemlock Creek Productions also strives to work on projects that highlight diversity, both in the stories being told and the people that tell them. As a queer and black-owned business, they believe diversity is a strength and look forward to working on projects that reflect the same values. Hemlock Creek Productions will also be releasing its first original podcast, Liars and Leeches, in 2023. Follow the story of Tonya in this supernatural horror podcast as she grieves a sudden familial loss, but soon her grief will bring someone or something into her life in ways she could never have anticipated. That's Liars and Leeches, available on all good podcast apps in 2023. But to learn more about Hemlock Creek Productions, please visit hemlockcreekprod.com or follow them on social media on Twitter and Instagram at hemcreekprod. So there we go. And now it is time for Dorian Gray.
2: Shadows at the Door is a podcast designed to scare and delight you. We are at times explicit and produced for an adult audience. To see if this episode is for you, consult our show notes for a list of content warnings. Welcome to our mini-series of The Picture of Dorian Gray, I'm Mark Nixon. These highly anticipated episodes come part of a full month of Dorian Gray content here at Shadows at the Door, and rather appropriately, during Pride Month. Yes, as a queer-ran podcast, we're delighted to bring you a story so laced with homoerotic subtext it caused quite the scandal upon its initial release in 1890. Now this story is the only novel ever written by its author, Oscar Wilde, and has come to be regarded as a classic of Gothic literature. For the month ahead, you have a three-act production of the story itself, a discussion episode, and to wrap things up, a drunk retelling. So listeners, it now brings me great pleasure to ask you to join me by the fire, pour yourself some tea, and we shall begin.
1: It is your best work, Basil, the best thing you have ever done. You must certainly send it next year to the Grosvenor. The academy is too large and too vulgar. Whenever I have gone there, there have been either so many people that I have not been able to see the pictures, which was dreadful, or so many pictures that I have not been able to see the people, which was worse. (laughs) Yes, the Grosvenor is really the only place. I don't think I shall send it anywhere. No, I won't. Uh, uh, Not send it anywhere? My dear fellow, why? Have you any reason what odd chaps you painters are? You do anything in the world to gain a reputation. As soon as you have one, you seem to want to throw it away. It is silly of you, for there is only one thing in the world worse than being talked about, and that is not being talked about. A portrait like this would set you far above all the young men in England, and make the old men quite jealous, if old men are ever capable of any emotion. I know you will laugh at me. But I really can't exhibit it.
3: I put too much of myself into it.
1: (laughs) Yes, I knew you would. Uh, Too much of yourself in it. (laughs) Upon my word, Basil, I didn't know you were so vain, and I really can't see any resemblance between you, with your rugged, strong face and your coal-black hair, and this young Adonis, who looks as if he was made out of ivory and rose-leaves. Why, my dear Basil, he is a narcissus, and you... Well, of course, you have an intellectual expression and all that, but beauty, real beauty, ends where an intellectual expression begins. Intellect is, in itself, a mode of exaggeration and destroys the harmony of any face. Look at the successful men in any of the learned professions. How perfectly hideous they are. Except, of course, in the church, but then in the church they don't think... A bishop keeps on saying at the age of eighty what he was told to say when he was a boy of eighteen, and as a natural consequence he always looks absolutely delightful. Your mysterious young friend, whose name you have never told me but whose picture really fascinates me, never thinks, I feel quite sure of that. He is some brainless beautiful creature who should always be here in winter when we have no flowers to look at. And always here in summer when we want something to chill our intelligence. (laughs) Don't flatter yourself, Basil. You are not in the least like him. You don't understand me, Harry. Of course
3: I'm not like him. I know that perfectly well. Indeed, I should be sorry to look like him. You shrug your shoulders. I'm telling you the truth. There is... There is a fatality... "'about all the physical and intellectual distinction. "'The sort of fatality that seems to dog through history "'the faltering steps of kings. "'It is better not to be different from one's fellows. "'The ugly and the stupid have the best of it in this world. "'They can sit at their ease and gape at the play. "'If they know nothing of victory, "'they are at least spared the knowledge of defeat. "'They live as we all should live, "'undisturbed, indifferent, and without disquiet. "'They neither bring ruin upon others nor ever receive it from alien hands. Your rank and wealth, Harry. My brain, such as they are. My art, whatever it may be worth. Dorian Gray's good looks.
1: We should all suffer for what the gods have given us. And suffer terribly. Dorian Gray? Is that his name? Yes. I didn't intend to tell you. But why not?
3: I can't explain. When I like people immensely, I never tell their names to anyone. It is like surrendering a part of them. I've grown to love secrecy. It seems to be the one thing that can make modern life mysterious or marvellous to us. The commonest thing is delightful if one only hides it. When I leave town now, I never tell my people where I am going. If I did, I would lose all my pleasure. It is a silly habit, I dare say, but somehow it seems to bring a great deal of romance into one's life.
1: "'I suppose you think me awfully foolish about it?' "'Not at all. Not at all, my dear Basil. "'You seem to forget that I am married. "'And the one charm of marriage is that it makes a life of deception "'absolutely necessary for both parties. "'I never know where my wife is, and my wife never knows what I am doing. "'When we meet, we do meet occasionally. "'When we dine out together or go down to the Duke's, "'we tell each other the most absurd stories with the most serious faces.' My wife is very good at it, much better, in fact, than I am. She never gets confused over her dates, and I always do. But when she does find me out, she makes no row at all. I sometimes wish she would, but she merely laughs at me. I hate the way you
3: talk about your married life, Harry. I believe that you're really a very good husband, but that you are thoroughly ashamed of your own virtues. You are an extraordinary fellow. You never say a moral thing. You never do
1: a wrong thing. Your cynicism is simply a pose. Being natural is simply a pose, and the most irritating pose I know. Come, join me in the garden. It's such a lovely day, and your smoke does cloud the room so. No. Uh, uh, oh, I am afraid I must be going, Basil. Oh, before I go, I insist on your answering a question I put to you some time ago. What is that? You know quite well. I do not, Harry. Well, I will tell you what it is. I want you to explain to me why you won't exhibit Dorian Gray's picture. I want the real reason. I told you the real reason. No, you did not. You said it was because there was too much of yourself in it. Now that is childish. Harry, every portrait that is painted with feeling
3: is a portrait of the artist, not the sitter. The sitter is merely the accident, the occasion. It is not he who is revealed by the painter. It is rather the painter who, on the coloured canvas, reveals himself. The reason I will not exhibit this picture is that I am afraid that I have shown in it the secret of my own
1: soul. Ha! <laughs> and what is that? I will tell you. I am in all expectation, Basil... There is really very little to tell, and I'm afraid you'll hardly understand it. Perhaps you'll hardly believe it. I am quite sure I shall understand it. And as for believing things, I can believe anything, provided that it is quite incredible. The story is simply this.
3: Two months ago, I went to a crush at Lady Brandon's. You know, we poor artists have to show ourselves in society from time to time, just to remind the public that we're not savages. Well, after I'd been in the room for about ten minutes talking to huge overdressed dowagers and tedious academicians, I suddenly became conscious that someone was looking at me. I turned halfway round and saw Dorian Gray for the first time. When our eyes met, I felt that I was growing pale. A curious sensation of terror came over me. I knew that I'd come face to face with someone whose mere personality was so fascinating that if I allowed it to do so, it would absorb my whole nature, my whole soul, my very art itself. I did not want any external influence in my life. You know yourself, Harry, how independent I am by nature. I have always been my own master. Well, at least always been so, till I met Dorian Gray. Then... But I don't know how to explain it to you something seemed to tell me that i was on the verge of a terrible crisis in my life i had a strange feeling that fate had in store for me exquisite joys and exquisite sorrows i grew afraid and turned to quit the room it was not conscience that made me do it
1: it was a sort of cowardice i take no credit to myself for trying to escape "'Conscience and cowardice are really the same things, Basil. "'Conscience is the trade name of the firm, that is all.' "'I don't believe that, Harry.
3: "'And I don't believe you do, either. "'However, whatever was my motive, "'and it may have been pride, for I used to be very proud, "'I certainly struggled to the door. "'There, of course, I I stumbled against Lady Brandon. "'You're not going to run away so soon, Mr. Hallward,' she screamed out. "'You know her curiously
1: shrill voice.' (sighs) Yes, she is a peacock in everything but beauty. I could not get rid of her. She spoke of me as her dearest friend.
3: I had only met her once before. I believe some pictures of mine had made a great success at the time, at least had been chatted about in the penny newspapers, which is the 19th century standard of immortality. Suddenly I found myself face to face with the young man whose personality had so strangely stirred me. We were quite close, almost touching... Our eyes met again. It was reckless of me, but I asked Lady Brandon to introduce me to him. Perhaps it was not so reckless after all. It was simply inevitable. We would have spoken to each other without any introduction. I'm sure of that. Dorian told me so afterwards. He, too, felt that we were destined to know each other.
1: And how did she introduce this wonderful young man?
3: Oh, something like,
1: A charming boy,
3: poor dear mother, and I absolutely inseparable. Quite forgot what he does. Afraid he doesn't do anything. Oh, yes, plays the piano. What is the violin? Dear Mr Grey. (laughs) Neither of us could help laughing.
1: And we became friends at once. Laughter is not at all a bad beginning for a friendship, and it is far the best ending for one. "'You don't understand what friendship is, Harry.
3: "'Or what enmity is, for that matter. "'You like everyone. "'Well, that is to say you are indifferent to everyone.'
1: "'How horribly unjust of you. "'Yes, horribly unjust of you. "'I make a great difference between people. "'I choose my friends for their good looks, "'my acquaintances for their good characters, "'and my enemies for their good intellects. "'A man cannot be too careful in the choice of his enemies.' I have not got one who is a fool. They are all men of some intellectual power, and consequently they all appreciate me. Is that very vain of me? I think it is rather vain. I should think that it was, Harry.
3: But according to your category, I must merely be an acquaintance. My dear old Basil,
1: you are much more than an acquaintance. And much less than a friend. A sort of brother, I suppose? Oh, brothers. I don't care for brothers. My elder brother won't die, and my younger brothers seem never to do anything else. Harry! (laughs) My dear fellow, I'm not quite serious, but I can't help detesting my relations. I suppose it comes from the fact that none of us can stand other people having the same faults as ourselves.
3: I don't agree with
1: that, and I feel sure you don't either. (sighs) So, tell me more about Mr. Dorian Gray. How often do you see him? Every day. Oh... I couldn't be happy if I didn't see him every day. He is absolutely necessary to me. How extraordinary. I thought you would never care for anything but your art. He is all my art to me now.
3: He's much more to me than a model or a sitter. I won't tell you that I'm dissatisfied with what I've done of him, or that his beauty is such that art cannot express it. There is nothing that art cannot express, and I know that the work I've done since I've met Dorian Gray is good work, is the best work of my life. I see things differently. I think of them differently. I can now recreate in life a way that was hidden from me before. If only you knew what Dorian Gray is to me. You remember that landscape of mine for which Agnew offered me such a huge price but which I would not part with? It is one of the best things I've ever done. And why is it so? Because, while I was painting it, Dorian Gray sat beside me. Some subtle influence passed from him to me. For the first time in my life I saw in the plain woodland the
1: wonder I had always looked for and always missed. Basil. I must see Dorian Gray. He is, to me, simply
3: a motive in art. You might see nothing in him. I see everything in him. He is never more present in my work than when no image of him is there. Then why won't you exhibit his portrait? Because, without intending it, I have put into it some expression of all this curious artistic idolatry, of which, of course, I have never cared to speak to him. He knows nothing about it. He shall never know anything about it. But the world might guess it, and I will not bear my soul to their shallow, prying eyes. My heart shall never be put under their microscope. There is too much of myself in the thing. Harry, too much of myself.
1: It's not so scrupulous as you are. I think you are wrong, Basil, but I won't argue with you. It is only the intellectually lost who ever argue. Tell me, is Dorian Gray very fond of you? He likes me.
3: I know he likes me. Of Of course, I flatter him dreadfully. I find a strange pleasure in saying things to him that I know I shall be sorry for having said. As a rule, he is charming to me. "'and we sit in the studio and talk of a thousand things. "'Now and then, however, he is horribly thoughtless "'and seems to take a real delight in giving me pain. "'Then I feel, Harry, that I have given away my whole soul "'to someone who treats it as if it were a flower to put in a coat, "'a bit of decoration to charm his vanity, "'an ornament for a summer's
1: day.' "'Days in summer, Basil, are apt to linger.' Perhaps you will tire sooner than he will. Harry, don't talk like that.
3: As long as I live, the personality of Dorian Gray will dominate me. You can't feel what I feel. You change too often.
1: <laughs> My dear Basil, that is exactly why I can feel it. Those who are faithful know only the trivial side of love. It is the faithless who know love's tragedies. <laughs>
3: Nonetheless, I don't want you to meet
1: him. You don't want me to meet him? No.
2: Mr. Dorian Gray has arrived,
3: sir. (laughs) He's
2: early.
1: You must introduce me now.
3: Bring Mr. Gray through, Parker. Very good, sir. Harry! Harry! Dorian Gray is my dearest friend. He has a simple and beautiful nature. Don't spoil him. Don't try to influence him. Your influence... would be bad. The world is wide and has many marvellous people in it. Don't take away from me the one person who gives to my art whatever charm it possesses. My life as an artist depends on him. Mind Harry, I trust you. (laughs) What nonsense you talk.
2: Mr. Dorian Gray, sir.
3: Dorian! Delightfully early. You must be keen to sit
4: for me. Oh, I am tired of sitting, Basil. I don't want a life-sized portrait of myself. Oh, I beg your pardon, Basil, but I didn't realise you had anyone with you. Yes,
3: this is Lord Henry Wotton, Dorian, an old Oxford friend of mine. I've just been telling him what a capital city you were. And now you've spoiled everything.
1: You have not spoiled my pleasure in meeting you, Mr Grey. <sighs> Our friend Basil here has just been telling me everything about you. He is quite devoted, I must say. And Basil is too kind. Oh, nonsense. And looking at you now, I can see he has not been kind enough. <laughs> <clears throat> Harry, I want to finish this picture today.
3: Would you think it
4: awfully rude of me if I asked you to, well... Go away? Should I go away, Dorian? Oh, please don't, Lord Henry. I can see that Basil is in one of his sulky moods. I can't bear him when he
1: sulks. You don't really mind, Basil, do you? You often told me that you liked your sitters to have someone to chat to, and the poor lad is so very tired (sighs) of sitting after all. If Dorian wishes it, of course he must stay.
3: Dorian's whims are laws to everybody except himself.
1: You are very pressing, Basil, but I'm afraid I must go. I have promised to meet a man at the Orléans. Goodbye, Mr Grey. Come and see me some afternoon in Curzon Street. I am nearly always home at five o'clock. Write to me when you are coming. I should be sorry to miss you.
4: Basil, if Lord Henry Watton goes, then I shall go too. You never open your lips while you are painting, and it is horribly dull, standing on a platform, trying to look pleasant. Ask him to stay. I insist upon it.
3: Stay, Harry. To oblige, Dorian, and to oblige me. It is quite true I never talk when I'm working. I never listen, either. It must be dreadfully tedious for my unfortunate sitters. I beg you to stay. I don't think there will be any difficulty about your friend. Sit down again, Harry. Very well. And now, Dorian, get up on the platform and don't move about too much, or pay any attention to what Lord Henry says. He's a very bad influence over all his friends with the single exception of myself. Now, step up here, Dorian. There we are. Hmm. Excellent.
4: Hmm. Have you really a very bad influence, Lord Henry, as Basil says?
1: There is no such thing as a good influence, Mr Grey. All influence is immoral. Immoral from the scientific point of view. Why? Because to influence a person is to give him one's own soul. Hmm. He does not think his natural thoughts or burn with his natural passions. His virtues are not real to him. His sins, if there are such things as sins, are borrowed. He becomes an echo of someone else's music, an actor of a part that has not been written for him. The aim of life is self-development. To realise one's nature perfectly, that is what each of us is here for. People are afraid of themselves nowadays. They have forgotten the highest of all duties, the duty that one owes to oneself.
3: Just turn your head a little more to the right, Dorian, like a good boy.
1: And yet... um... I believe that if one man were to live out his life fully and completely, were to give form to every feeling, expression to every thought, reality to every dream, I believe that the world would gain such a fresh impulse of joy that we would forget all the maladies of the past. But the bravest man amongst us is afraid of himself. The mutilation of the savage has its tragic survival in the self-denial that mars our lives. We are punished for our refusals. Every impulse that we strive to strangle broods in the mind and poisons us. The body sins once and has done with its sin, for action is a mode of purification. Nothing remains then but the recollection of a pleasure or the luxury of a regret. The only way to get rid of a temptation is to yield to it. Resist it, and your soul grows sick with longing for the things it has forbidden to itself, with desire for what its monstrous laws have made monstrous and unlawful. It has been said that the great events of the world take place in the brain. It is in the brain, and the brain only, that the great sins of the world take place also. You, Mr. Grey, you yourself, with your rose-red youth and your rose-white boyhood. You have had passions that have made you afraid, thoughts that have filled you with terror, daydreams and sleeping dreams whose mere memory might stain your cheek with shame. Stop. Stop, you bewilder me. I,
4: I don't know what to say. There is some answer to you, but I cannot find it. Don't speak. Let me think. Or or rather, let me try not to think. Basil, I'm tired of standing. Uh, Yes, I must go out and sit in the garden. The air is stifling here.
3: My dear fellow, I'm, I'm so sorry. When I'm painting, I can't think of anything else. But you never sat better. You were perfectly still, and I've caught the effect I wanted. The half-parted lips and the bright look in your eyes? I don't know what Harry has been saying to you, but he has certainly made you have the most wonderful expression. I suppose he has been paying you compliments. You mustn't believe a word that he says.
4: He has certainly not been paying me any compliments. Perhaps that is why I don't believe anything he has told me. You
1: know you believe it all. I will go out to the garden with you. It is horribly hot in the studio. Certainly, Lord Henry. I shall meet you there. Basil, let us have something iced to drink, something with strawberries in it. Certainly, Harry.
3: Just touch the bell, and when Parker comes, I will tell him what you want. I've got to work up this background, so I will join you later on. Don't keep Dorian too long. I have never been in better form for painting than I am today. This is going to be my masterpiece. It is my masterpiece as it stands.
4: quite
1: right to do that lord henry (laughs) i didn't hear you approach (laughs) yes nothing can cure the soul but the senses just as nothing can cure the senses but the soul (laughs) come join me in the shade look parker has brought out the drinks and if you stay any longer in this glare you'll be quite spoilt, and basil will never paint you again You really must not allow yourself to become sunburnt. It would be unbecoming. What can it matter? It should matter everything to you, Mr Grey. Why? Because you have the most marvellous youth. And youth is the one thing worth having. I don't feel that, Lord Henry. No, you don't feel it now. Some day, when you are old and wrinkled and ugly, when thought has seared your forehead with its lines and passion branded your lips with its hideous fires, you will feel it, and you will feel it terribly. Now, wherever you go, you charm the world. Will it always be so? You have a wonderfully beautiful face, Mr. Gray. Oh, don't frown, you have. And beauty is a form of genius, is higher indeed than genius, as it needs no explanation. It is of the great facts of the world, like sunlight or springtime, or the reflection in dark waters of that silver shell we call the moon, it cannot be questioned. It has its divine right of sovereignty, it makes princes of those who have it. You smile? (laughs) People say sometimes that beauty is only superficial. That may be so, but at least it is not so superficial as thought is. To me, beauty is the wonder of wonders. It is only shallow people who do not judge by appearances. Yes, Mr. Gray, the gods have been good to you. But what the gods give, they quickly take away. You have only a few years in which to live really, perfectly, and fully. When your youth goes, your beauty will go with it, and then you will suddenly discover that there are no triumphs left for you. you have to content yourself with those mean triumphs that the memory of your past will make much more bitter than defeats. Every month, as it wanes, brings you nearer to something dreadful. "'Time is jealous of you, Dorian. "'You will become sallow, hollow-cheeked and dull-eyed. "'You will suffer horribly. (sighs) Realize your youth while you have it. "'Don't squander the gold of your days, listening to the tedious, "'trying to improve the hopeless failure or giving away your life "'to the ignorant, the common and the vulgar. "'These are the sickly aims, the false ideals of our age. "'Live!' live the wonderful life that is in you let nothing be lost upon you be always searching for new sensations be afraid of nothing the moment I met you I saw that you were quite unconscious of what you really are, of what you really might be. The pulse of joy that beats in us at twenty becomes sluggish. Our limbs fail, our senses rot, we degenerate into hideous puppets, haunted by the memory of the passions of which we were too much afraid, and the exquisite temptations that we had not the courage to yield to. Youth! Youth! There is absolutely nothing in the world but youth! Gentlemen,
3: I'm finished. Come in. The light is quite perfect.
2: You can bring your drinks.
1: We should... uh... You are glad to have met me, Mr Grey. Yes, I'm glad now. I wonder, shall I always be glad? Always? That is a dreadful word. It makes me shudder when I hear it. Women are so fond of using it. They spoil every romance by trying to make it last forever. It is a meaningless word, too. The only difference between a caprice and a lifelong passion is that the caprice lasts a little longer. And yes, we should join Basil. ah finally come come look it's quite finished my dear fellow i congratulate you most warmly it is the finest portrait of modern times mr gray come over and look at yourself yes come and see for yourself and you have sat splendidly today i am awfully obliged to you that is entirely due to me isn't it mr gray Uh, Mr. Gray?
4: Don't you like
3: it?
1: I don't understand why he doesn't answer. Of course he likes it. Who wouldn't like it? It is one of the greatest things in modern art. I will give you anything you like to ask for it. I must have it. It is not my property, Harry. Whose property is it? Dorian's, of course. He is a lucky fellow.
4: How sad it is. What's that, Dorian? I, I said how sad it is. I shall grow old and horrible and dreadful, but this picture will remain always young. It will never be older than this particular day of June. If it were only the other way... If it were I who was always to be young, and the picture that was to grow old, for that, for that I would give everything. Yes, there is nothing in the whole world
1: that I would not give. I would give my soul for that. You would hardly care for such an arrangement, Basil. <laughs> it, it would be rather hard lines on your work. I should object very strongly, Harry. I believe you would, Basil.
4: You like your art better than your friends. I am no more to you than a green-bronze figure. Hardly as much, I dare say. Dorian! How long will you like me? Till I have my first wrinkle, I suppose. I know now that when one loses one's good looks, whatever they may be, one loses everything. Your picture has taught me that. Lord Henry Wotton is perfectly right. Youth is the only thing worth having. When I find that I am growing old, I shall kill myself. Dorian! Dorian, don't talk like that! I have never had such a friend as you, and I shall never have such another. You're not jealous of material things, are you? You who are finer than any of them. I am jealous of everything whose beauty does not die. I am jealous of the portrait you have painted of me. Why should it keep what I must lose? Every moment that passes takes something from me and gives something to it. Oh, if it will, only the other way. If the picture could change and I could always be what I am now. Why did you paint it? It'll mock me some day. Mock me horribly
3: This is your doing, Henry.
1: This is the real Dorian Grey, that is no. all No, Harry. I can't quarrel with my two best
3: friends at once, but between you both you have made me hate the finest piece of work I've ever done. And I will destroy it. What is it but canvas and colour? I will not let it come across our three lives and mar them. But don't
4: but Basil, don't It were to be murder. I'm glad you appreciate my work at last, Dorian. I never thought you would. Appreciate it? Basil, I am in love with it. It is a part of myself. I feel that. Well, as soon
3: as you are dry, you shall be varnished and framed and sent home. Then you can do what you like with yourself.
1: What absurd fellows you both are. I much prefer such scenes on the stage. Uh, Speaking of which, Dorian, let us go to the theatre tonight. There is sure to be something on somewhere.
3: Such a bore putting on one's dress clothes. And when one has them on, they're so horrid.
1: Yes, the costume of the 19th century is detestable. It is so sombre, so depressing. Sin is the only real colour element left in modern life. You really must not say things like that before Dorian, Harry. Before which, Dorian, the one wiping tears from his eyes... Or the one in the picture? Either. I should like to come to the theatre with you, Lord
4: Henry. In fact, I feel I must come. And you will promise to talk to me all the time.
1: No one speaks so wonderfully as you do. Ah, I have talked quite enough for today. But yes, come you shall. And you will come too, Basil, won't you? I can't, really. I would sooner not I have a lot of work to do. Well, then... You and I will go alone, Mr. Grey. I should like that awfully. Come, Mr. Grey. My hansom is outside and I can drop you at your own place. Uh, Goodbye, Basil. It has been a most interesting afternoon. Goodbye, Dorian. Goodbye, Basil. And Harry? Yes, Basil?
3: Remember what I said earlier? What I asked of you?
1: My dear Basil, I have already forgotten it. Well... I trust you. (laughs) I wish I could trust myself
3: I shall stay with the real Dorian
4: How late you are, Harry
5: I'm afraid it is not Harry, Mr Grey Hmm?
4: Uh, I beg your pardon I thought you were... You thought
5: it was my husband It is only his wife You must let me introduce myself I know you quite well by your photographs I think my husband has got 17 of them
4: Not 17, Lady Henry
5: Well, 18 then And I saw you with him the other night at the opera.
4: Ah, yes.
5: Hmm. I like Wagner's music better than anybody's. It is so loud that one can talk the whole time without other people hearing what one says. That is a great advantage, don't you think, Mr Grey?
4: I'm afraid I don't think so, Lady Henry. I never talk during music, at least during good music. If one hears bad music, it is one's duty to drown it in conversation.
5: Ah, that is one of Harry's views, isn't it, Mr. Gray? I always hear Harry's views from his friends. It is the only way I get to know them. But you must not think I don't like good music. I adore it, but I am afraid of it. It makes me too romantic. I have simply worshipped pianists. Two at a time, sometimes, Harry tells me. I don't know what it is about them. Perhaps it is that they are foreigners. They all are, aren't they? Even those that are born in England become foreigners after a time. It is so clever of them, and such a compliment to art. Makes it quite cosmopolitan, doesn't it? You know, all these weeks of spending time with Harry, and you've never been to one of my parties, have you, Mr Grey? You must come. I can't afford orchids, but I spare no expense in foreigners. They make one's rooms look so picturesque. But here is Harry. Harry, I came in to look for you, to ask you something. I forget what it was. And I found Mr Grey here. We've had such a pleasant chat about music. We have quite the same ideas. No, I think our ideas are quite different. But he has been most pleasant. I'm so glad I've seen him. No wonder you've been spending so much time with him lately.
1: I am charmed, my love, quite charmed. Mm. (coughs) So sorry I am late, Dorian. I went to look after a piece of old brocade in Wardour Street and had to bargain for hours for it. (sighs) Nowadays, people know the price of everything and the value of nothing. Is that
4: strictly true, Harry?
1: It was truth, Dorian, as all good lies are. Besides, a gentleman should always be late on principle, the principle being that punctuality is the thief of time. Hmm.
5: (laughs) I'm afraid I must be going. I have promised to drive with the Duchess. Goodbye, Mr. Grey. Goodbye, Harry. You are dining out, I suppose. So am I. Perhaps I shall see you at Lady Thornbury's.
1: I dare say, my dear, I dare say. (sighs) (sighs) Never marry a woman with straw-coloured hair, Dorian. And why is that, Harry? Because they are so sentimental,
4: But I like sentimental people.
1: Never marry at all, Dorian. Men marry because they are tired, women because they are curious. Both are disappointed.
4: I don't think I am likely to marry, Harry. I'm too much in love. (laughs) That is one of your aphorisms. I'm putting it into practice, as I do everything that you say.
1: With whom are you in love? with an actress. That is a rather
4: commonplace debut. You would not say so if you saw her, Harry. Who is she? Her name is Sybil Vane. Never heard of her. No one has. The people will someday, however. She is a genius.
1: Uh, (laughs) Ah, my dear boy, no woman is a genius. Women are a decorative sex. They never have anything to say, but they say it charmingly. Women represent the triumph of matter over mind, just as men represent the triumph of mind over morals. Harry, how can you? My dear Dorian, it is quite true. I am analysing women at present, so I ought to know. The subject is not so abstruse as I thought it was. I find that ultimately, there are only two kinds of women, the plain and the coloured. The plain women are very useful. If you want to gain a reputation for respectability, you have merely to take them down to supper. The other women are very charming. They commit one mistake, however, they paint in order to try and look young. Our grandmothers painted in order to try and talk brilliantly. Rouge and Esprit used to go together. That is all over now. As long as a woman can look 10 years younger than her own daughter, she is perfectly satisfied As for conversation, there are only five women in London worth talking to, and two of these can't be admitted into decent society. However, tell me about your genius. How long have you known her? About three weeks. And where did you come across her? I will
4: tell you, Harry, but you mustn't be unsympathetic about it. After all, it never would have happened if I had not met you. You filled me with a wild desire to know everything about life. For days after I met you, something seemed to throb in my veins. As I lounged in the park or strolled down Piccadilly, I used to look at everyone who passed me and wonder with a mad curiosity what sort of lives they led. Some of them fascinated me, others filled me with terror. There was an exquisite poison in the air. I had a passion for sensations. Well, one evening, about seven o'clock, I determined to go out in search of some adventure. I felt that this grey, monstrous London of ours, with its myriads of people, its sordid sinners, and its splendid sins, as you once phrased it, must have something in store for me. I fancied a thousand things. The mere danger gave me a sense of delight. I remembered what you had said to me on that wonderful evening when we first dined together about the search for beauty being the real secret of life. I don't know what I expected, but I went out and wandered eastward, soon losing my way in a labyrinth of grimy streets and black grassless squares. About half-past eight I passed by an absurd little theatre, with great flaring gas-jets and gaudy playbills. A hideous man in the most amazing waistcoat I ever beheld in my life was standing at the entrance smoking a vile cigar. He had greasy ringlets and an enormous diamond blazed in the centre of a soiled shirt. Have a box, Marlowe, he said when he saw me, and he took off his hat with an air of gorgeous civility. There was something about him, Harry, that amused me. He was such a monster. You will laugh at me, I know, but I really went in and paid a whole guinea for the stage box. And to the present day, I can't make out why I did so, and yet, if I hadn't... <laughs> my dear Harry, if I hadn't, I should have missed the greatest romance of my
1: life. Uh, I see you are laughing It is horrid of you Mm -hmm. I am not laughing Dorian At least I am not laughing at you But you should not say the greatest romance of your life You should say the first romance of your life You will always be loved And you will always be in love with love A grande passion Is the privilege of people who have nothing to do That is the one use of the idle classes of a country. Don't be afraid. There are exquisite things in store for you. This is merely the beginning. Do you think my nature so shallow? No. I think your nature so deep. How do you mean? My dear boy, the people who love only once in their lives are really the shallow people. What they call their loyalty and their fidelity, I call either the lethargy of custom or their lack of imagination. Faithfulness is to the emotional life what consistency is to the life of the intellect, simply a confession of failure. Faithfulness. I must analyse it someday. The passion for property is in it. There are many things that we would throw away if we were not afraid that others might pick them up. But I don't want to interrupt you. Go on with your story.
4: Well, I found myself seated in a horrible little private box, with a vulgar drop scene staring me in the face. I looked out from behind the curtain and surveyed the house. It was a tawdry affair, all cupids and cornucopias like a third rate wedding cake. The gallery and pit were fairly full, but the two rows of dingy stalls were quite empty, and there was hardly a person in what I suppose they called the dress circle. Women went about with oranges and ginger beer, and there was a terrible consumption of nuts going on. It was all very depressing. I began to wonder what on earth I should do when I caught sight of the playbill, and you would never guess it, Harry, but it was Romeo and Juliet. I must admit that I was rather annoyed at the idea of seeing Shakespeare done in such a wretched hole of a place. Still, I felt interested in a sort of way. At any rate, I determined to wait for the first act. There was a dreadful orchestra that nearly drove me away, but at last the drop scene was drawn up and the play began. Romeo was a stout elderly gentleman with corked eyebrows, a husky tragedy voice, and a figure like a beer barrel. Mercutio was almost as bad. They were both as grotesque as the scenery, and that looked as if it had come out of a country booth. But Juliet... (sighs) Harry, imagine a girl, hardly seventeen years of age, with a little flower-like face, a small Greek head with plaited coils of dark brown hair, eyes that were violet wells of passion, lips that were like the petals of a rose. She was the loveliest thing I had ever seen in my life. You said to me once that pathos left you unmoved, but that beauty, mere beauty, could fill your eyes with tears i tell you harry i could hardly see this girl for the mist of tears that came across me
6: oh romeo romeo wherefore art thou romeo deny thy father and refuse thy name or if thou wilt not be but sworn my love and i'll no longer be a capula tis but thy name that is my enemy
4: that and her voice. voice i never heard such a voice you know how a voice can stir one your voice and the voice of Sibyl Vane are two things that i shall never forget when i close my eyes i hear them and each of them says something different i don't know which to follow
6: that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet so romeo would were he not romeo called retain that dear perfection which he owes without that title Romeo, doff thy name, and for thy name, which is no part of thee, take
4: all my soul. Why should I not love her? Harry, I do love her. She is everything to me in life. "'Night after night I go to see her play. "'One evening she is Rosalind, and the next evening she is Imogen. "'I have seen her die in the gloom of an Italian tomb, "'sucking the poison from her lover's lips. "'I have watched her wandering through the forest of Arden, "'disguised as a pretty boy in hose and doublet and dainty cap. "'She has been mad and has come into the presence of a guilty king "'and given him rue to wear and bitter herbs to taste of.' "'She has been innocent, and the black hands of jealousy have crushed her reed-like throat. "'I have seen her in every age and in every costume.' "'Ordinary women never appeal to one's imagination. "'They are limited to their century. "'No glamour ever transfigures them. "'One knows their minds as easily as one knows their bonnets. "'One can always find them.' There is no mystery in any of them. They ride in the park in the morning and chatter at tea parties in the afternoon. They have this stereotyped smile and their fashionable manner. They are quite obvious. But an actress? How different an actress is, Harry. Why didn't you tell
1: me that the only thing worth loving is an actress? Because I have loved so many of them, Dorian. I wish now I had not told you about Sybil Vane. You could not have helped telling me, Dorian. All through your life you will tell me everything you do. Yes, Harry, I believe that is true.
4: I cannot help telling you things. You have a curious influence over me.
1: If I ever did a crime, I would come and confess it to you. You would understand Uh, me. People like you, the wilful sunbeams of life, don't commit crimes, Dorian... Uh, but I am much obliged for the compliment all the same. Now, tell me, like a good boy, what are your actual relations with Sybil Vane? Harry, Sybil Vane is sacred. Uh, it is only the sacred things that are worth touching, Dorian. Why should you be annoyed? I suppose she will belong to you some day. When one is in love, one always begins by deceiving oneself, and one always ends by deceiving others. That is what the world calls a romance. You know her at any rate, I suppose? Of course I know her. On the first night I was at the theatre, the horrid
4: old man came round to the box after the performance was over and offered to take me behind the scenes and introduce me to her. Oh, she was so shy and so gentle. There was something of a child about her. Her eyes opened wide in exquisite wonder when I told her what I thought of her performance, and she seemed quite unconscious of her power. I think we were both rather nervous. The old man stood grinning at the doorway of the dusty green room, making elaborate speeches about us both, while we stood looking at each other like children. He would insist on calling me my lord, so I had to assure Sybil that I was not anything of the kind. She said quite simply to me that I looked more like a prince and that she must call me Prince Charming. (laughs) Miss Sybil knows how to pay compliments. Oh, you don't understand her, Harry. From her little head to her little feet, she's absolutely and entirely divine. Every night of my life I go to see her act, and every night she is more marvellous.
1: That is the reason, I suppose, that you never dine with me now. I thought that you must have some curious romance on hand. You have, but it is not quite what I expected.
4: My dear Harry, we either lunch or sup together every day, and I've been to the opera with you several times.
1: You always come
4: dreadfully late. (laughs) Coming from you? (laughs) I can't help going to see Sybil play, even if it is only for a single act. I get hungry for her presence, and when I think of the wonderful soul that is hidden away in that little ivory body, I am
1: filled with awe. You can dine with me tonight, can't you, Dorian? I'm afraid not. Tonight she is Imogen. And when is she Sybil Vane? Never. I congratulate you. How horrid you are. She is all
4: the great heroines of the world in one. She is more than an individual. You laugh, but I tell you she has genius. I love her, and I must make her love me. You, who know all the secrets of life, tell me how to charm Sybil Vane to love me. I want to make Romeo jealous. I want the dead lovers of the world to hear our laughter and grow sad. I want a breath of our passion to stir their dust into consciousness, to wake their ashes into pain. My God, Harry, how I worship her!
1: (laughs) And what do you propose
4: to do? I want you and Basil to come with me some night and see her act. I have not the slightest fear of the result. You are certain to acknowledge her genius. Then we must get her out of the old man's hands. I shall have to pay him something, of course. When all that is settled, I shall take a West End theatre and bring her out properly. She will make the world as mad as she has made me. (laughs) That would be impossible, my dear boy. Yes, she will. She has not merely art, but she has personality also, and you have often told me that it is personalities, not principles, that
1: moves the age. Well, what night shall we go? Tomorrow. She is Juliet tomorrow. All right. The Bristol at eight o'clock, and
4: I will get Basil. Not eight, Harry, please. Half past six. We must be
1: there before the curtain rises. You must see her in the first act, where she meets Romeo. Uh, Half past six? What an hour. It will be like having a meat tea or reading an English novel. It must be seven. No gentleman dines before seven. Shall you see Basil between this and then, or shall I write to him? Dear Basil, I have not laid eyes on
4: him for a week. It is rather horrid of me, as he has sent me my portrait in the most wonderful frame, specially designed by himself. And though I am a little jealous of the picture for being a whole month younger than I am, I must admit that I delight in it. Perhaps you had better write to him. I don't want to see him alone... He says things that annoy me. He gives me
1: good advice. People are very fond of giving away what they need most themselves. It is what I call the depth of generosity. Though Basil is the best of fellows,
4: but he seems to me to be just a bit of a philistine. Since I've known you, Harry, I've discovered
1: that. (laughs) Basil, my dear boy, puts everything that is charming in him into his work. The consequence is that he has nothing left for life but his prejudices, his principles and his common sense. The only artists I have ever known who are personally delightful are bad artists. Good artists exist simply in what they make and consequently are perfectly uninteresting in what they are. A great poet, a really great poet, is the most unpoetical of all creatures. But inferior poets are absolutely fascinating. The worse their rhymes are, the more picturesque they look. The mere fact of having published a book of second-rate sonnets makes a man quite irresistible. He lives the poetry that he cannot write. The others write the poetry that they dare not realise.
4: I wonder is that really so, Harry? It must be, if you say it. And now I'm off. Imogen is waiting for me. Don't forget about
1: tomorrow. Goodbye, Henry. I shan't forget, Dorian. Goodbye. <laughs> Dorian Gray in love. How fascinating. Hmm... <clears throat>
0: shopify.com slash realm
7: hi i'm madigan from your angry neighborhood feminist a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective check out new episodes mondays and fridays for a wide variety of topics and news episodes listen wherever you get your podcasts rage on
6: Oh, Jim, I can't contain myself any longer. I am so happy.
8: <laughs> I can see that, Sybil. Settle down.
6: I can't.
8: And why is that?
6: I'm in love.
8: Oh, come on. You're far too young to think of falling in love. Oh, this is why you insisted on the walk. So Mother can't hear.
6: Perhaps. Well, yes.
8: That explains it. Only posh people go to the park.
6: This is nonsense. Oh. <laughs>
8: So Mother doesn't know everything, then?
6: She knows some details, but not all. You know how she is. The moment I tell her everything, she will simply worry about the theatre. Well, yes. And she has already reminded me once today about Mr Isaac and his generosity.
8: Well, he has been considerate.
6: I know. But he's not a gentleman, Jim. I hate the way he looks at me. And I perform on his stage near every night. It's not exactly charity. Besides... Love is more important than money.
8: Oh, now you really are showing your age. Once I leave London, I really don't know how you and your mother will manage if you fall out of his favour.
6: We don't need him anymore, Jim. Prince Charming rules life for us now.
8: (laughs) You what? Prince Charming?
6: That's what I call him.
8: Christ. OK, but what's his actual name?
6: I don't know, he comes...
8: You don't know?
6: He hasn't yet revealed his real name. I think it's quite romantic of him. He is a member of the aristocracy, I think. You think? Yes, practically a prince after all. And well, what do you want? He will... He will want to enslave you. Then I don't want to be free.
8: Sybil... I want you to beware of him.
6: To know him is to trust him.
8: Sybil... You are mad about him.
6: You dear old Jim, you talk as if you're a hundred. Someday you'll be in love yourself, then you'll know what it is. Oh, don't look so sulky. Surely you should be glad to think that though you were going away, you leave me happier than I have ever been before. Life has been hard for us both, terribly hard and difficult. But it will be different now. You were going to a new world, and I found one here. Oh, bench. Let's sit down and see the smart people go by. Wipe that look off your face. You are such a grumpy bear. I know his soul, Jim. He's come to visit me every night after my performances. You what?
8: Without a chaperone?
6: At first Mother was there. Then she was not.
8: Sybil, you foolish girl! Do you even know... Do you even know his intentions?
6: Stop, Jim! You mustn't say anything against him. I love him. You
8: don't even know his name?
6: He is Prince Charming. Don't you like the name? If you only saw him, you would think he was the most wonderful person in the world. Someday you'll meet him, when you come back from Australia. You'll like him so much, everybody likes him. And I, I love him. You've said. I wish you could come to the theatre tonight. He's gonna be there and I'm to play Juliet. Fancy, Jim, to be in love and play Juliet. To have him sitting there, to play for his delight. To be in love is to surpass oneself. Poor dreadful Mr Isaacs will be shouting GENIUS to his loafers at the bar and it is all his, his only, Prince Charmin, my wonderful lover, my god of graces.
8: Well you better be so wonderful. If he arms you in any way, I shall kill him.
6: You are foolish, Jim. How can you say such horrible things? You don't know what you were talking about. You were jealous and unkind. I just wished you would fall in love. Love makes people good. And what you said was wicked.
8: I know what I am about. Mother is no help to you. She doesn't understand how to look after you. I wish now that I was not going to Australia at all. I have a great mind to pack the old thing in. I would if my articles hadn't been signed.
6: Oh, don't be so serious, Jim. You are like one of the heroes of those silly melodramas Mother used to be so fond of acting in. I'm not going to quarrel with you. And I know you would never harm anyone I love, would you?
8: Not as long as you love him, I suppose.
6: Good. Because I shall love him forever. And him? Forever too.
8: He'd better. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I had hoped you'd save all your hugs and kisses for me.
6: Oh, but you don't like being kissed. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Mm.
1: How do you find the champagne, Harry? Mm. It is not a revelation, nor is it offensive. Oh, you really must have some, Basil. I find that alcohol, if taken in sufficient quantities, can produce all the effects of drunkenness.
3: (laughs) No. I'm keeping a clear
1: head for Dorian. (laughs) So, tell me, Basil, have you heard the news... No. What is it?
3: Nothing about politics, I hope. There's hardly a
1: single person in the House of Commons worth painting. Although... Dorian Gray is engaged to be married. No. Impossible. It is perfectly true. He left my house, but yesterday and some hours afterward, I received a telegram telling me just that. Well... To whom? Oh, to some little actress or other. No. Dorian is far too sensible. Dorian is far too wise not to do foolish things now and then, my dear Basil. Marriage is hardly a thing one can do now and then, Harry. (laughs) Except in America. (laughs) But I didn't say he was married. I said he was engaged to be married. There is a great difference. I have a distinct remembrance of being married, but I have no recollection at all of being engaged. I'm inclined to think that I never was engaged. But think of Dorian's birth and position and wealth. It would be absurd for him to marry so much beneath uh, Tell him that, Basil, and he is sure to marry her. Oh, In fact, here he is now.
4: My dear Harry,
1: my dear Basil, you must congratulate
4: me. So it's true, Dorian? You're engaged? It is true, yes. I've never been so happy. Of course, it is sudden. All really delightful things are. And yet it seems to me to be the one thing I have been looking for all my life. (sighs) I hope you'll always be very happy, Dorian. But I don't quite forgive you for not having let
3: me
1: know of your engagement. You let Harry know. (laughs) And I don't forgive you for being late for dinner. There is not much to tell.
4: What happened was simply this... After I left you yesterday evening, Harry, I dressed, had some dinner at that little Italian restaurant in Rupert Street you introduced me to, and went down at eight o'clock to the theatre. Sybil was playing Rosalind. Of course, the scenery was dreadful and the Orlando absurd, but Sybil... You should have seen her. When she came on in her boys' clothes, she was perfectly wonderful. She had never seemed to be more exquisite. As for her acting, well, you shall see her tonight. "'She is simply a born artist.' "'I sat in the dingy box, absolutely enthralled. "'I forgot that I was in London, and in the 19th century "'I was away with my love in a forest that no man had ever seen. "'After the performance was over, I went behind and spoke to her. "'As we were sitting together, suddenly there came into her eyes "'a look that I had never seen there before. (laughs) "'My lips moved towards hers. We, we kissed each other. <laughs> I can't describe to you what I felt at that moment. It, it seemed to me that all my life had been narrowed to one perfect point of rose-coloured joy. She trembled all over and shook like a white narcissus. Then she flung herself on her knees and kissed my hands. <laughs> I feel like I should not be telling you all of this, but I can't help it. Of course, our engagement is a dead secret. She's not even told her own mother. I don't know what my guardians will say. Lord Radley is sure to be furious. I don't care. I shall be of age in less than a year, and then I can do what I like. I have been right, Basil, haven't I? To take my love out of poetry and to find my wife in Shakespeare's plays. Lips that Shakespeare taught to speak have whispered their secret in my ear. I have had the arms of
1: Rosalind around me and kissed Juliet on the mouth. <laughs> Perhaps you're right at what particular point did you mention the word marriage dorian and what did she say in answer my dear harry i did not treat it as a business
4: transaction and i did not make any formal proposal i told her that i loved her and she said that she was not worthy to be my wife (laughs) not worthy
1: why the whole world is nothing to me compared with her oh women are wonderfully practical much more practical than we are In situations of that kind, we often forget to say anything about marriage, and they always remind us. Don't, Harry. You've
3: annoyed Dorian. He is not like other men. He would never bring misery upon anyone.
1: His nature is too fine for that. Dorian is never annoyed with me, are you, Dorian? (laughs) You are quite incorrigible, Harry, but I don't mind.
4: It is impossible to be angry with you. Mm. When you both see Sybil Vane, you will feel that the man who could wrong her would be a beast. A beast without a heart. I cannot understand how any one can wish to shame the thing he loves. I love her. I want to place her on a pedestal of gold and to see the world worship the woman who is mine. Her trust makes me faithful. Her belief makes me good. When I am with her, I regret... All that you have taught me, Harry, I become different from what you have known me to be. I am changed, and the mere touch of Sibyl Vane's hand makes me forget you and all your wrong, fascinating, poisonous, delightful Theories?
1: theories. And which theories are these?
4: Oh, your theories about life, your theories about love, your theories about pleasure. All your theories, in fact, Harry. Pleasure
1: is the only thing worth having a theory about. I know what pleasure is. It is to adore someone. Eh, That is certainly better than being adored. Being adored is a nuisance. Women treat us just as humanity treats its gods. They worship us, and are always bothering us to do something for them. They create
4: love in our natures. They have a right to demand it back. Yes, quite true. Nothing is ever quite true. This is... You must admit, Harry, that women give
1: to men the very gold of their lives. Uh, Possibly, but they invariably want it back in such very small change. That is the worry. Women, as uh, some witty Frenchman once put it, inspire us with the desire to do masterpieces and always prevent us from carrying them out. (laughs) Harry, you are dreadful. I don't know why I like you so much. You will always like me, Dorian. I represent to you all the sins uh, you have never had the courage to commit. What
4: nonsense you talk, Harry. No, there is no time for cigarettes. Come now, let us go down to the theatre. When Sybil comes onto the stage, you will have a new ideal of life. She will represent something to you that you have never known.
1: I have known everything, but I am always ready for a new emotion. I'm afraid, however, that for me, at any rate, there is no such thing. Still, your wonderful girl may thrill me. I love acting. It is so much more real than life. Come now,
3: Harry. We'll be late if we stand listening to your every passing thought all evening.
1: Harry, keep still seat is ghastly, simply ghastly. What a place to find one's divinity in. When she acts, you will forget everything.
4: Even these common rough people with their coarse faces and brutal gestures become quite different when she
1: is on stage. Looking at them, one could only hope they become different. Don't
4: pay any attention
3: to him, Dorian. I understand what you mean. And I believe in this girl. Anyone you love must be marvellous, and any girl who has the effect you
4: describe must be fine and noble. Thank you, Basil. I knew that you would understand me. Harry is so cynical, he terrifies me. You've made it through the first few scenes. I admit, it is quite dreadful, but once the curtain rises again, you will see the girl to whom I'm going to give all my life. To whom I have given everything that is good in me. Ah, the curtain rises. Oh, yes. There she is.
1: Oh, Dorian, she's beautiful. Oh, charming. Quite charming.
6: Good pilgrim, you do wrong your hands too much, which mannerly devotion shows in this. For saints have hands that pilgrim's hands do touch, and palm to palm is holy palm kiss.
1: Oh dear. Oh. I have not saints lips. I don't... And I don't
6: promise. understand. I, pilgrim, lips that they must use in prayer...
1: She is quite beautiful, oh, Dorian, but she can't act. let go.
4: I'm going to see the playthrough. I'm awfully sorry that I have made you waste an evening, Harry.
1: Must faith turn to I apologise
4: to both of you. My dear Dorian,
3: I should think Miss Vane was ill.
4: Saints, do we will come do some other
3: night, yes? Prayers. I wish
8: she
4: were ill. She's transformed entirely. I don't know who this wretched actress is before
1: us. Don't talk like that about the one you love, Dorian. Love is a more wonderful thing than art. Good heavens, my dear boy, don't look so tragic. The secret of remaining young is never to have an emotion that is unbecoming. Come to the club with Basil lips, and myself. We will smoke are, cigarettes sure. and drink to the beauty of Sybil Vane. She is beautiful. What more can you All want? Urged, go away, Harry. I want to be alone. Basil, you must go too. Dorian, can't you see that my heart is breaking?
6: Kiss by the book.
1: Let us go, Basil. Come now.
6: How badly I acted tonight, Dorian.
4: Horribly, horribly. It was dreadful. Are you ill? Dorian. You have no idea what it was. You have no idea what I've suffered.
6: Dorian, you should have understood. But you understand now, don't you?
4: Understand what?
6: Why I was so bad tonight. Why I shall always be bad. Why I shall never act well again.
4: You are ill, I suppose. When you were ill, you shouldn't act. You make yourself ridiculous. My friends were bored. I was bored.
6: Torian, before I knew you, acting was the one reality of my life. It was only in the theatre that I lived. I thought that it was all true. I was Rosalind one night and Portia the other. The joy of Beatrice was my joy, and the sorrows of Cordelia were mine also. I believed in everything. The common people who acted with me seemed to me to be godlike. The painted scenes of my world. I knew nothing but shadows and I thought them real. You came, oh my beautiful love, and you freed myself from prison. You taught me what reality really is. Tonight for the first time in my life I saw through the hollowness, the sham, the silliness of the empty pageant in which I had always played. Tonight for the first time I became conscious that the Romeo was hideous and old and painted, that the moonlight in the orchard was false, that the scenery was vulgar, and that the words I had to speak were unreal, were not my words, were not what I wanted to say. You had brought me something higher, something of which all art is but a reflection. You had made me understand what love really is, my love, Prince Charming, Prince of Life. I've grown sick of shadows. You are more to me than all art can ever be. Sybil! When I came on tonight, I could not understand how it was that everything had gone from me. I thought that I was going to be wonderful. I found that I could do nothing. Suddenly it dawned on my soul what it all meant. The knowledge was exquisite to me. I heard her missing and I smiled. What could they know of love such as ours? Take me away, Dorian. Take me away with you, where we can be quite alone. I hate the stage. I might mimic a passion that I do not feel, but I cannot mimic one that burns me like fire. Oh, Dorian, you understand now what he signifies. Even if I could do it, it would be profanation for me to play at being Sibble. in love. You've made me see that. You
4: have killed my love. <laughs> what? Yes. Yes. You have killed my love. You used to stir my imagination. Now you don't even stir my curiosity. You simply produce no effect. I loved you because you were marvellous. Because you had genius and intellect. Because you realised the dreams of great poets and gave shape and substance to the shadows of art. You have thrown it all away. You are shallow and stupid. My God, how mad I was to love you. What a fool I have been. You are nothing to me now. I will never see you again. I will never think of you. I will never mention your name You don't know what you were to me once. Why once? Oh, I can't bear to think of it. I wish I had never laid eyes upon you. You have spoiled the romance of my life. How little you can know of love if you say it mars your art. Without your art you are nothing. I would have made you famous, splendid, magnificent. The world would have worshipped you and you would have borne my name. What are you now? A third-rate actress with a pretty face.
6: You're not serious, Dorian. You're acting.
4: I would leave the acting to you were you not so bad at it.
6: Dorian. Dorian! Let go of me! Dorian, please, no!
4: Let go! Dorian. Dorian.
6: Leave me. I'm so sorry I did not well. I was thinking of you all the time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but I will try. Indeed, I will try. It came so suddenly across me, my love for you. I think I should never have known it if you had not kiss me. If we had not kissed each other. <laughs> kiss me again, my love. No, don't go away from me. I can't bear it. Oh, don't go away from me. My brother. No, never mind. He didn't mean it. He was in jest. But you... Can't you forgive me for tonight? I will work so hard and try to improve. Oh, don't be cruel to me, because I love you better than anything in the world. After all, it is only once that I have not pleased you, but you were quite right, Dorian. I should have shown myself more of an artist. It was foolish of me, and yet I couldn't help it. Oh, don't leave me. Don't leave me.
4: I'm going. (laughs) I have no wish to be unkind, but I can't see you again. You've disappointed me. (gasps) A little dark. Is it that? Victor? Victor, are you still awake? I had hoped for tea. I've had the most dreadful night, you see. Victor? Well, one would suppose even valets need to sleep. Well, Victor, perhaps I can navigate my own home without your expertise. If I could only find the matches. You know, it was said this is a true antique. What is the point of a candelabra if not for lighting your way? There we are and there I am I say, Victor! Victor, have you allowed any visitors? Basil, perhaps? Victor, answer me or I. Sh- Not ask the question, or you shall hear it once more. The painting—it is changed, but it has not been altered. Uh, the doubt. Nowadays... Oh. Oh. My wish, oh, my mad wish, that I myself might remain young, and the portrait grow old, that my own beauty might be untarnished in the face on the canvas, bear the burden of his passions and my sins the painted image might be seared with the lines of suffering and thought that I might keep all the delicate bloom and loveliness of my boyhood. Surely my wish has not been fulfilled. Such things are impossible. And, and yet, oh, do not look at me in such a way. And, and cruel. But I have not been cruel. It was the girl's fault. For she had been shallow and unworthy and... soul as hers I shall make amends yes indeed I shall resist temptation I shall resist Lord Henry himself I shall go back to Sybil apologize marry her and try to love her again yes that is my duty I I see that now I shall live a beautiful and pure life and you you shall change that horrible expression and be as you once were if not I shall never look at you again I shall not learn to loathe my own soul I shall cover you for now and rest in the morning I shall put everything right Sir Bolvain I shall love you again
1: My dear boy, I must see you. Let me in at once. I can't bear your shutting yourself up like this. Dorian.
4: Fine. Yes, Harry, I'm here.
1: Finally. I am so sorry for it all, Dorian, but you must not think too much about it. Do you mean about Sybil Vane? Yes, of course. It is dreadful from one point of view, but it was not your fault. Tell me, did you go behind and see her after the play was over? I did. Hmm. I felt sure you had. Did you make a scene with her? I was brutal, Harry. Perfectly brutal. But it is all right now. I am not sorry for anything that has happened. It has taught me to know myself better. Ah, Dorian, I am so glad you take it in that way. I was afraid I would find you plunged in remorse and tearing that nice curly hair of yours. I've got through all that.
4: I'm perfectly happy now. I know what conscience is to begin with. It is not what you told me it was. It is the divinest thing in us. Don't sneer at it, Harry. At least not before me. I want to be good...
1: I can't bear the idea of my soul being hideous. A very charming artistic basis for ethics, Dorian. I congratulate you on it. But how are you going to begin? By marrying Sybil Vane. But, my dear boy, did you not read the letter I sent this morning? No, I have not read it yet, Harry. I was afraid there might be something in
4: it that I wouldn't like. You cut life to pieces with your epigrams, and besides, I have not long
1: risen from bed... Dorian, not... my letter... and Now, don't be frightened. was to tell you that... that Sybil Vane is dead. You've been listening to a Shadows at the Door production. Dorian Gray was played by Jake Benson, Lord Henry Wooden was played by David Alt. Basil Hallwood was played by Kareem Cronfley. Sybil Vane was played by Alana Chanel. James Vane was played by Andy Cresswell. Lady Wooten was played by Erica Sanderson. The Butler was played by Mark Nixon. And Romeo was played by Alastair Stewart. The story was written by Oscar Wilde and adapted by Mark Nixon. The original score was composed and performed by Nico Vatesse. The production was by Mark Nixon. And the copyright is held by Shadows at the Door Publishing. Join us next week for Act Two.
6: And I know you would never arm anyone
7: I love, would you?
8: Not as long as you love him, I suppose.
7: Good. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist the podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. I bring you two episodes a week. Every Monday, I cover something from a wide variety of topics, covering everything from feminist faves throughout history like Audre Lorde, listener coming out stories, and other hot-button topics like toxic masculinity and the Me Too movement, as well as plenty feminist history, the good and the controversial. And then every Friday, I bring you a mini What's in the News episode to keep you up to date with everything that's going on today in the world. And with over 580 episodes available to you right now, there's plenty of good stuff to listen to. You can listen to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rage on. Bye.